You're listening to a podcast produced by Kayama Community Radio. And I'd like to welcome my next guest, Jane Stroud, CEO of Kayama Municipal Council. Welcome, Jane. Hello, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for coming in. I know you're very busy, so great that you've given us this little bit of time. Um, we would like to know a little bit about you. Where did you grow up? Where? What's your background? Tell uh, us a little bit about you to start off with. Sure. Um, well, I'm from Queensland, which I think a lot of yeah. folks know, but I'm actually from central western Queensland. So pretty much if you head to Toowoomba and head eight hours west, uh-huh. you will bump into the tiny towns that I grew up in. So places like... Um, Thargaminda, Roma, Walloon. I was born in St George on a station um, and, yeah, grew up in tiny towns. Did my high school at Kingaroy and actually my family did a three-year stint in Wagga. So I'm not a total stranger to New South Wales, but, yeah, yeah I spent all my life in Queensland. Hmm. And what about education-wise? I think you've got a background in the arts and science, is that right? Yeah, I do. Um, look, education-wise, growing up in the tiny towns that I grew up in, um, half the classroom were my siblings, and <laughs> my dad was up the front as the principal. No! Yeah, until I was in year 10, by which stage I think we were both fit to have enough of each other. And oh, wow. Yeah, they, um, then I went to the Kingaroy High School for years 10 11 and 12 yeah so that's the joy of growing up in very rural Queensland and your dad was the principal what was that like what was that experience like for you uh horrendous (laughs) 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 oh look my dad's an interesting man he's um he's Irish both my parents were Irish oh really where is he from um well, he is from just outside of County Cork, and my mum was from near Galway. So, yeah, that they both, he came out when he was six, she came out when she was 11, they both settled in Toowoomba. And, um, oh, look, there's lots of benefits in being in a small, very small school, sometimes only with 14 people. You can yeah. work at whatever level your interest and ability is. And I always enjoyed that as a kid. And you're always with a mix of ages and a mix of um, kids from all walks of life. And I mm. always really thoroughly enjoyed that. But I was pretty glad when I finally got to go to a school where my dad wasn't up the front. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you started your career in town planning at a count, uh, in a council. On yeah, yeah, Coast. I did at Caloundra Council. So mm. tell us about the roles that you've held and the experiences that you've had that are beneficial to joining Kaima Council. Okay, um, yeah, I started my life out, uh, in, at work as a, um, a young development assessment planner, actually. I lasted four weeks on the DA front counter. <laughs> Not because I was bad, but because I could hold a conversation and the director at the time said, oh, I think you'll you'll do well in strategic planning. So I went and worked in the strategic planning team for Caloundra and it was a really collaborative and collegiate team and um, I really enjoyed it actually. Got to work on uh, forming their city plan and um, yeah, from there I worked at South East Queensland's kind of biggest and fastest paced growth councils, so five of them. Um, Marucci, uh, Moreton Bay, and Logan 
for a long time and then I actually went out to Southern Downs which is Warwick Stanthorpe so it's a border community mm. um, and I uh, my kids were quite little there so yeah I moved out sort of out of the city context so that I could get a kind of back in touch with that rural experience and also get out of the commute and when I had quite young children that enabled me to pick up quite a bit of time in my day. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking to Jane Stroud, CEO of Kiama Municipal Council. And we do have a text line, 0423 If you want to ask a question, that's 0423 Jane, I, I want to ask you, coming into this role, so you're a leader and you're a woman, what are the qualities that are required to be a really great leader? I think every every leader needs a really good measure of resilience. You never quite know what a role or uh, a job is going to throw at you. Yeah. And I also actually think you need to be authentic. If you're not yourself, it's just too hard to keep up with. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You really do have to be as close to the person that you honestly are at work and in your everyday life because mm. people do tend to see pretty much straight through that if you're not. Yeah. Mm. And in terms of leadership, I mean, there are lots of different styles of leadership. And I I guess the question isn't about what kind of leader do you think you are, Mm. but what kind of leader do you think the people that you lead think you are? Oh, you know, I just had my performance review last week. So oh, did you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I remember that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were talking about it at the chamber event, yeah. um, and I actually got some feedback from all of the managers and the directors at work. Did some yeah. surveys with them and asked them that exact question, and y- you will. It's the kind of comments that I got, so I have some good insight into how people are experiencing my leadership style. Mm. And look, it's been a hard time at Kayama Council, Um, but most people have said that I'm quite resilient, that I'm quite tough, that I make decisions quickly, but I listen. Um, A lot of people giving me some feedback about the pace that I work at, because I you know, the organisation is really going through quite a challenging time, and there is a lot of things to do and like any leader I'm always going to work very hard at getting those things done but it does um, impact on people that pace and yeah yeah needing to move through quite a large volume of challenging tasks Hmm. and coming into the role um, you've got currently two very large and distinct businesses you've got the aged care services on the one hand and municipal services so at the moment, is it 60% of your workforce is employed in the aged care industry? Yeah, look, it's roughly about a kind of a 50-50 split, which is All really right. unusual for a local government. Um, local governments are traditionally, you will hear this all the time, roads, rates, rubbish. That is our bread and butter. Mm. Um, so to invest to the extent that Kiama Council did in aged care was quite uh, a radical step away. And I can understand 40, 50 years ago how that need emerged and have a great deal of respect for the organisation's history in aged care. But like a lot of investment decisions over time, um, sometimes those investment decisions don't always come to fruition in the way that we think they will. 
and things change, mm. uh, both and in society and in business. And there was a huge overspend on the build of Yeah, huge overspend. Huge overspend. Yeah. But in terms of the, the annual returns, how does it... How does how does that work? I mean, what's the what what is coming into Venera currently on an annual basis? I mean, can you see where that issue has arisen also in terms of the the day to day running of it? Um, oh uh, yeah, look, and I think everybody in the community is aware of these facts. So, the Bluehaven business isn't just Venera; it's actually also Terralong. So we run two very large mm, retirement mm. village communities. We also run an extensive home care service, community transport, as well as a residential aged care facility that has 134 beds. So it is an actual hospital environment um, for people who are palliating. So it's quite uh, an emotional time for a lot of folks as well when they experience our service. And, um, yeah, look, the, the facts around that investment decision are that a lot of the organisations work in capital, so it's actual available cash. Over $20 million was spent on the build, and that is really hard for a business to recover from in a short period of time. Added into that, there was COVID, which greatly affected the residential aged care facility. But the way that a business like that makes money is through turnover in the independent living units, so the retirement villages. It's all the, the fee structure for those people who are residing in our residential aged care facility is actually set by the federal government. So there's not a great deal of levers that you can use to mm. generate revenue. It's actually quite a heavily regulated environment. And in terms of the divestment, in terms of the process, I think Neil was saying that you're on stage three where the probity checks were being carried out. I yeah, think last time I spoke along to him. Where are you in that process? I've got that infogram in front of me. Where, where are you in the process now? We're right in the middle of due diligence, actually. So we've right. moved along one section up to four. Right. So we are going through due diligence with a number of select tenderers and the process is going on track and moving along quite well towards a mid-December time frame. So we are are we allowed to know how many tenderers? No, unfortunately <laughs> no. So tendering in local government is a very strict and confidential process. All right. Okay. But as a result of this process, so the process will finish when? Mid-December. Mid-December. But then there will be a period of transition before any new potential operator takes the business on. The reins. And that will then mean that Kaima Council will, will look very different to, to how it looks now, and that is a huge process. Yeah, it's radical change. It's radical change. So what's it going to be for you? What are your key challenges in all of this? You know, it's a question that's been occupying my mind for probably the last three months, and uh, actually yesterday I prepared a report for Council. In the new year, I'm going to embark on a series of... When I first started, I did some CEO pick. So I'm going to do those CEO picnics, engagements again in the new year and I'm going to ask people that exact question. What next for Kayama Municipal Council? What do you want to see your council become? Because Kayama Council for 40, 50 years has been both aged care and council. Yeah. And that radical shift to being uh, a standalone council, one that lives within its means and is connected to its community, that's actually a conversation that I want to have with our community. What level of service are you expecting? How do you want to see our workers interact with you? And how do you want to feel connected to your council? And in terms of divestment and in terms of finances, 
what are what are, what are what is your plan with so other services for example is there going to be any other further privatization of what we do uh, no and I, th- I th- that word is always a little crazy um every local government out there does this process and you're meant to do it annually called service reviews now Kyla yeah. unfortunately as we know let go of a lot of those really um traditional and actually expected and legislated activities so we are getting back into service reviews and we've identified waste services the pavilion the holiday park uh, alongside the leisure center so they're actually all our top revenue generators Mm. and we're reviewing those services to look at efficiencies to look at improvements and how we can actually yield more revenue out of them there's no outcomes as to yet and um yeah, just because we're reviewing the service does not Doesn't for one mean. second mean yeah. that a decision has been made to privatise or move out of it. We're actually looking at what we do well, what makes money, and how we can do more of that. Okay. And I have got Jane Stroud with me this morning, and you're listening to Kayama Community Radio. I'm Bernie Hems. So the question that I want to ask you, um, in your current position, you're going through all of this transformation now, and this will be a very different council when it comes out of the divestment process and everything else. What are your key challenges? My key challenges are, I think, the whole community's key challenges, and that is how do we reimagine uh, a local government service? How do we bring a $90 million business back into being a $70 million business? Because mm. that's actually all the money that we have. We can't continue to spend outside of our means. So I often describe that as financial sustainability, but in a nutshell, it is living within your means. So how do we do that? But how do we be the best version of a council that we can be in that remodelled, living within our means kind of shape? It's a pretty wicked problem, but it will be a really interesting conversation. Second to that priority, I often describe organisational capability. And to me, that's about the culture of the workforce. It's about people who are capable, able and skilled and trained to do their job within some challenging dynamics. But not only are they able to do their job, they're empowered to do it really well. And that's the cultural piece that's so important. Um, And thirdly, any local government is based on good governance. So our governance systems need to match up with what's required of us from the state government And we really need to improve the way that our business documents, records, what its policies, what our processes are, and all that stuff gets described as governance. So the three of them would be financial sustainability, governance, and organisational capability. And what do you feel that you bring to the table? So you need a certain skill set for all of this. Yeah, look, my strength has always been that I'm pretty flexible and I do actually have a really high appetite for change. So if you think of Kayama almost, somebody described it to me once and I've always loved the analogy, was if you don't get bewildered with the lack of Mm. policies and processes and if you don't get overwhelmed with it and you flip that dynamic on its head and you consider it instead as a start-up and the opportunity to start from scratch and create something that is unique that is bespoke for our community and fit for purpose that is a really extraordinary opportunity and that kind of thing excites me you know from my previous work i did extensive work in innovation smart cities and actual um catalytic change for whole communities in a really big and complex uh dynamic you know communities of three hundred and sixty thousand. so 
I kind of bring that knowledge with me. I've got a great understanding of how communities grow and how they actually cope with growth, not just from the physical sense, so the infrastructure sense, but also from a community dynamic background um, and the social cohesion behind that. My other personal priority for our council is to deliver on our new community engagement strategy. I want the organisation to do some different things so that we can hear from some of our unheard voices. I think there's a lot of amazing and skilled people who live in our town and we need to hear the unheard voices and we need to do that in a different way. We can't just pop documents on public display for Mm. 28 days and wait for submissions. Not everyone has the time for that. It is about interacting with people where they are. So if their kids are at nippers, are we at nippers? Interviewing them about what, what do you need from a surf club or what do you want from Coronation Park, for example. And that's the kind of thing I want to see us do more of in the coming year. So that's in the plan then. So, yep. uh, so, so being on the ground then, listening, hearing, hearing what the community wants. So the community's got a strategic plan of its own. We do. We have a community strategic plan. Now. And, and that aligns to everything else that you're doing, presumably. Yeah, it does. It has six pillars and they drive every aspect of the business. Um, and the way that that gets articulated is uh, an annual plan called the delivery plan and the operational plan. Mm. And you can pick that up anytime you want and get an understanding of what service are we delivering, why are we doing it. And then you can also pick up our six-monthly report and read about, well, how has that service gone over the last six yeah. months? And I'm talking to Jane Strad, CEO of Kiama Com- 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 Municipal Council. So, Jane, we do have in, uh, in 2024, we've got more elections coming up, haven't we? Yeah, we sure do, local government elections. Local government elections. What's that going to mean? What's that process? When oh, does it begin? Well, that means that every eligible voter goes to the polls. And uh, early in the new year, no doubt, we'll see uh, new candidates starting to emerge, if they haven't already. Uh, And we'll also see our sitting councillors contemplate re-election campaigns and the community will be asked to vote as to who they want to see leading Kiama Municipal Council in September. It's always a massive moment of change in any local government because the leadership that comes out of our elected representatives does have a day-to-day impact on the culture at work, staff's experience, but also the community's experience. So that will be a really interesting process. It's actually also um, it's actually quite a quite a lot of work to onboard a new council as well, uh, and it's something that just happens every four years in local government. But that's the cycle that we're in, and we'll see that change in September. My next question is about the fact that we've got a very busy summer coming up. We've got numerous festivals happening, and we seem to have got a growth. Yeah, or an increase in the number of festivals that we're, we're holding in Kiama, which is brilliant for local business, absolutely brilliant. Um, but in terms of the impact that it has on the environment and on the, the locals who live here, um, how do you, what's the balance that we need to have to ensure that, yes, we can, we can increase tourism and we can, we can do all of that to make sure that businesses gain from that? But, but how do we make sure that we also bear in mind that there are locals that are living in this space and it's going to be a hot summer. Mm. So aside from the festivals, we're going to have an influx of people again and it's parking and it's 
toilets and it's all of those things. How do we balance the environment Mm. with making sure that we're we're a floating community of yeah, look, it's it's always a balancing act, and that is actually what it always boils down to. This year there's some, you know, I don't know if you went out to Jamboree on the weekend, but the community event mm. held out there on the weekend was an absolute raging success. And it was really lovely to see post-COVID everyone coming out and wanting to be together and connected and celebrating and, you know, rolling their cars around the town, which mm. was pretty cool. Uh, and this summer we do have an incredible range of festivals coming into town. I think this weekend is Kayamasala, yeah, yeah, which will be massive as well. And then in addition to that, as you said, it's going to be, I hope, hot and sunny. So we will have visitors. And in a tourist town like ours, finding that balance between how many events, the scale of the events and what the impact is for the local residents on our local roads And on things, you know, as complex and as simple as our toilets and our bin collection cycle, Mm. because we will need to increase those to service not just the residents, but also the visitors. And it will be really, it's always hard to get right. And I've spoken to our tourism and destination events team and really encouraged them to do some good research and some good feedback with both local community and local business to see if we've found that balance or if, in fact, we get the balance wrong this summer, which I'm hoping we don't. Um, My next question to you is about the fact that the federal government is encouraging nighttime economy and talking about bringing back live music to to towns across the state. Um, And funnily enough, I've just read the question that's come in on the... on the the text line and it says morning Jane my question relates to council responsibilities in ensuring businesses in the LGA comply with certified operating conditions and they're saying specifically uh, sorry I've got to read it specifically what is council doing to ensure that finding Fillimore's on Manning Street operates in accordance with the conditions stated in April 2023. The questioner acknowledges the potential value of the business to the community, just wanting to see it follow the same protocol expected of all businesses operating within an LGA. It's a cracker of a question. It's a cracker. For this hour of the morning. Isn't it? Yes. But it does go on. No, that's okay. Um, Look, yes, the MIMS government does actually have some new regulations out at the moment, and I would encourage uh, that's to support the nighttime economy, and I really would encourage the community. I actually sent it to our local business chamber, I think, two weeks ago. Uh, Have you say, put in a submission, um, activating nighttime economy or evening economy, as we've had some public forums here describe it, is really important. It actually helps keep our businesses in town. And I think most people would agree that we all love live music and we all like to hear music and we like to be part of those vibrant communities. And to do that, there has to be an appetite and a tolerance of venues and places that do make noise. So Mm. how we do that responsibly is really important. That's a state issue, so absolutely log on and have your say. And then it's our job to administer that which brings me around to finding Fillmore's. And firstly, can I just say that that's a magnificent business and 
um, council has had a long history of working with finding Fillmore's. Sometimes it has been quite challenging for the business to operate, but it's also quite challenging for the neighbours. And it goes to the heart of what we spoke about before, finding that balance between... Yeah, because there's know, an apartment block that sits around it, isn't there? Yeah, in there very, is. very, very yeah. close proximity. Yeah, in close proximity. And... Mm. Um, Look, I I would say what I always say on this front, and I have said it publicly quite a few times, my advice to Fillmore's has always been to submit a development application. Every business in town actually is required to submit a development application unless your development is exempt and complying. Uh, To be exempt and complying in the way that Fillmore's is, there's certain conditions. Those conditions, are they come straight out of the state government and it's our job as the local council to make sure that they're complying with those. And that will look like doing noise audits, doing compliance inspections, all of which we did. And we did find some challenges over at that site. And then there's actually a legislative process that we go through. We have to send them a notice. They get given a period of time to correct the issues that we've identified and to fix them. Now, that work should be um, undertaken and it should be done and all our residents have uh, a reasonable expectation that council will do that for any business, Mm. not just finding Fillmore's. Um, And they do have to comply and if they don't comply, unfortunately, it it is always our job to make them comply. So the, the question finishes with context. In April 2023, following independent legal advice, the council advised finding Fillmore's on Manning Street that they had to operate, as you said, in accordance with their certification, which includes conditions for hours of operation and noise levels. The advice also included a DA requirement, as you said, of the business um, to continue with live music events. Since that time, the venue has regularly operated in breach of these conditions. These breaches have been reported by residents and are also visible on social media advertising of music events. Yeah, I'm just going to say something really quickly about social media and the way that folks interact with it. I get it, I understand it. It's Mm. a powerful tool and it's a forum that a lot of people are comfortable in. But a social media post is not a formal complaint to council. And if I could give everyone out there one piece of advice, it's if you complain on social media, that does not equal an official council complaint. If you want to make a complaint about a local business, you need to actually contact council, mm. and then we actually have to go and investigate it. We're duty-bound to. Have you, have you had complaints then? Oh, absolutely. We often get complaints about Fillmore's, and they relate to noise, amenity, patron safety, shared spaces, uh, the bathroom amenities yeah i think there's only one i have been there and i think there's only one toilet yeah well part of um look part of disability just anti-discrimination conditions and making sure that things are accessible is that you do need to have a fully accessible bathroom Mm. because even a a young mum with a pram is going to not want to navigate steps Mm. to be able to get Mm. to a bathroom so there are some significant issues that need to be worked through both for that development and any development out there. And my staff have issued compliance notices and asked for those matters to be addressed. And any new complaint that comes in needs to be run through the mm. same process. So what would the timescale be about that then? So once you, once you, get a com- once you receive a complaint, what, how, how does that work? It depends on the complexity of the complaint and yeah. it depends on if it's a repeated complaint. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
and the time now is 8.59 and we're going to have to sign off. Jane, thank you so much for joining me this morning. You're welcome. But we have got some topics that we do want to discuss and uh, media policy being one of them. Yep. But we haven't got time this morning. But you're going to come back next week. Oh, I'm happy to. <laughs> so we are going to have a QA next week at 7 o'clock next Tuesday morning with Jane Stroud. This is part two. And, uh, yeah, you're welcome to join us and to send in your questions and Jane's open to anything we want to ask is that right yeah sure if I can't (laughs) answer it I'll tell you (laughs) okay and Glenn did say ask her how the family has settled into Kayama how are you getting on in Kayama because it's a big move for your family yeah it was a big move um the kids are really good they're loving it I think they know more people locally than I do do they they're very social this podcast was produced by Kayama Community Radio